This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. We'll now have uh, the scripture reading. And uh, today's passage is taken from uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 1 to 26. So I will give you some time uh, to take out your Bible, or you can refer to the projection. Luke chapter 5, verse 1 to 26. I'll read from NIV. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of uh, Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, Don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. One day, Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. 
When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and lowered him on, the, on his mat through the towels into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have sinned. We have seen remarkable things today. This is the word of God. I'll pass the time over to Pastor Andrew who will share with us God's word. A very good morning to everyone. It's always a joy and privilege that we can gather to open up God's word, to read God's word. So I hope you have your Bible with you. If not, you can use your phone. So it would be great if you keep it open to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. And we're going to begin by asking God to help us. Would you pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that we can gather with our brothers and sisters, our friends, to open up your word. Father, we thank you that you have not left us alone in this world. You have given us your word and you have given us the truth. So that, God, we can come to you because you have said so. So this morning we pray, God, that you will keep all of our hearts and minds turned to your word, all the anxieties, all the busyness that we have for the week. We pray, God, that you help us to lay them before you. And pray, God, that you will lay upon our hearts your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. What do you make of that statement? I'm coming for you. Well, it really depends on whether you're watching a horror movie or a rescue mission. It depends whether you're a victim or an offender. It depends on whether you'll be better off or worse off when the announcer comes for you. As a kid, I lived in this HDB flat where our door faced our neighbor's door. It was my window through bottom, so I'm always just hanging at the gate looking to the other gate, um, looking at them watching TV. Sometimes they'll walk past and they'll wave at me to say hi, or someone dozing off on the chair in the lazy afternoon. I vaguely remember an old man who lived next door. I couldn't remember his face anymore. I must be pretty young. I vaguely remember him. I once heard the adults spoke about his dying. Apparently, that's what I've been hearing. You know, kids listen to you even when you're thinking they're not. 
So I was listening to them, and I once heard them speak about the old man was dying, and someone in the house decided they needed to get a pastor to come and speak to him about the gospel. But between them calling the pastor and him coming, many a time this old man was drifting in and out, and he kept hearing people coming for him. Now that kind of scared me for a couple of years, but as I grew up, I realized that's not the first time, and you will not be last time I hear things like that. I'm coming for you. That's a scary picture. This is a scary picture when people struggle with death. In fact, death whispers on that very first day, I'm coming for you at your birth, except that you can't hear it because it's so joyful. But it gets louder by the decades. And it gets horrendous when you grow old. But now there's another voice, another voice that says, I'm coming for you, and it can be a great relief. And that voice is God's voice. In fact, in the last book of the Bible, in Marki, he says, I'm coming. And last week when we were in Luke 4, God uh, gave this promise which Jesus read from Isaiah 61. Jesus read that God is going to send his Messiah and he is coming to proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim freedom for the prisoners, proclaim the Lord's favor. And Jesus ended the reading of Isaiah 61 by saying, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, God's Messiah is coming for you and for me, and he brings with him God's rescue. We're going to see this in three miracles in today's passage. The first miracle is the catching of men. The second miracle is the cleansing of the unclean. And the third miracle is the forgiving of the sinner. Um, I'd like to invite you to flip to Luke 5 as you follow along with me. Now, Luke 5 begins this way. It's the account of Jesus standing by the lake of Gennesaret, also known as the Sea of Galilee. That day, people were crowding around Jesus, listening to him teach the word of God. As the crowd grew and grew, Jesus turned towards a group of busy fishermen who were cleaning their nets. Apparently, these fishermen, they were not among the crowds because they just came back from fishing a fruitless night and they were washing their nets in a grouching manner. Now, as it is, Jesus came in, he walked to one of the two boats still left there, the one that belonged to Simon. He got in, he, Simon's, he signaled to Simon, Simon, come back, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Well, it turns out that Simon actually did know Jesus. In fact, Jesus had done him a favor. Right in Luke 4, Jesus went to, if you can flip to Luke 4, you can see it. Jesus went to Simon's house and healed his mother-in-law. So can you imagine Simon, as he heard these words, the last thing he wanted to give an excuse because he could imagine his mother-in-law's face looking at him. You what? So there he goes, he went, he dragged the rest of the crew, probably his brother Andrew along. They went in, got into the boat, they went off, slightly off shore so that Jesus can teach. Once in the boat, Jesus sat down, taught the crowd. And here's the interesting fact. If you look at it, Lou actually did not give us a single clue what Jesus taught that day. Nothing. Instead, Lou focused on what Jesus did thereafter. Have a look with me. When Jesus finished teaching, he turned to Simon and he said, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. 
Well, if anyone knew about fishing, it wouldn't be a carpenter's son or even a respectable rabbi. It would be the veteran people of the sea. And Simon knew that he was. Simon knew exactly when it's time to stop fishing. It's time to stop fishing when it's high noon, when your, sheep, when your boats have already docked, when the nets have already been washed, when the fish are having their afternoon naps under the seabed, when the fishermen should be in their hammock. But no, Jesus wants to go fishing. Well, reluctant might be an understatement, but his respect for Jesus, or the picture of an angry mother-in-law, probed him to reply this way, verse 5. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all day, haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the net. Now Luke did not record the response and expression of the others, but the shocker came straight away when they let down the first net. It was as if all the fish in Galilee were dashing right towards his boat. They were docking right into the net so quickly that the net began to break all the fish once in. So James and John were being whistled in. They came quickly with the second boat and still both boats began to sink by the sheer weight of the fish. Now, it was, to say the least, a divine moment, as if the rules of the game have flipped on them. Simon, master of the sea, he looks at Jesus, the man of the land. Or was he the man of the land, taking charge of everything? Peter, he could not explain. If you're, if you're a theologian, you want to argue this could be that. Peter was the master of the sea. He knew what was happening. There's no excuse. It was not an accident. Jesus was not like him. And immediately, Simon Peter fell at Jesus' feet and said, verse 8, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Now, it was a, it's a moment of spiritual awakening. And Peter reacted as one standing before a divine. His address changed from master to Lord. It was a title that Luke had used, but only on God so far. And his cry was instinctive and reactive. It was not a cry of humility. It was a cry of an utter fear, as if the eyes that looked right into the seabed was now looking right into his heart. And Peter felt like the naked Adam in the Garden of Eden. He could not hide, he could not bear the presence of the divine and holy one. He pleaded, Jesus, turn around, turn away, so that you will not see my guilt, you will not see my shame, my sins, my pride, my wickedness, my reluctance. But instead of turning aside, Jesus replied words that only angels up to this point have uttered. He said, don't be afraid. Now, if you're still with me, this is a conversation that is now at a different level because we actually have heard such conversations before in the Bible and they are never, ever between two human beings. It is always a human with the divine. Let me give you some examples. Here's a picture of Daniel in chapter 10. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel, he saw a vision. He saw a vision of a man dressed in linen by the great river Tigris, Daniel was trembling in fear when that man spoke 
Do not fear. And this is Daniel's reply in Daniel 10, verse 16. Let me read it to you. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips. I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of my vision, my Lord. I feel very weak. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. And of course, the other passage we're familiar with is from Isaiah 6. Isaiah cried out these words, Woe to me, Isaiah cried. I am ruined and a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Now, Luke doesn't want us to miss this moment when he writes Luke 5. We are meant to catch it. Go away from me, Lord, cried Simon Peter. I am a sinful man. But Jesus replied, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Now, in saying that, Jesus had not only accepted Peter and his companions into his presence. Jesus offered them partnership into his work. The word partnership has come in before. Verse 10, they were all partners in fishing. But now Jesus offered them partnership to fish for people, literally to bring people into the kingdom of God. And so verse 11, they left everything, including two boats load of fish to rot. Simon's companions became the first who were fished by Jesus into his kingdom. And of course, they will become the fishers of man in this two-volume work of Luke and Acts. Now, dear friends, I want to ask this question. Why did Luke keep this account in the Bible? Why for us to read it if it's only for Peter? Because the answer is, it was never just for Peter and his companions. But the beginning, it was the beginning of all who will turn and come back to Jesus and to be caught into the kingdom of heaven. And they will be the people who will go out and bring others into the kingdom of heaven. It has been the case that when the divine comes, that the humans will recognize that they are sinners. So the response of Peter, I'm a sinful man, is not his alone. It has happened from the beginning. The first Adam, when he had sinned and God walks into the garden, he knew his sin. And it's continued up to this point that when we have encounter with God, with Christ in his word, it will no longer be a subjective comparison between another human being, I'm better, I'm worse, but it will be an objective reality of our spiritual, our moral poverty and the divine holiness of God. And that is how the gospel continues to catch people into the kingdom. So dear friends, when we come before God, it will not be our accolades, it will not be our greatness. Because if we have, we have not seen God. But if we have seen God in His Word, the only thing we can come to Him is to recognize we are sinful and we need Him. So the first miracle reveals that God has, Jesus has come for sinners and offers us the grace to follow. Luke is not giving us much time to breathe and he moves on right to the second miracle and we are brought into a town where Jesus might well be teaching, but again, we are not told that Jesus was teaching 
on the onset. Instead, what we have is this very daring man who broke all the rules and regulations. He went against the quarantine orders issued to him. He ran right in the streets. Now, this man, look at verse 12. He was covered with leprosy. According to the laws, there are two chapters on skin disease, but in Leviticus 13 itself, such a man is meant by law and regulation to wear torn clothes, his hair uncapped, his meant to wear a mask like all of us. In fact, Leviticus 13 says he must cover the lower part of their face and they are to cry, unclean, unclean, as they walk around, unclean, so that people will avoid them as long as they have their skin disease that spreads. They are to remain unclean and must live alone and outside the camp. I remember last year, my kids were learning um, sports, track and field, and, and one of the coach, he, he was a stewardess, a steward. His wife is a stewardess. And they were saying that when, when um, the, the flights were just opening up, they were doing round trip to, um, to, to Australia and back. But in the event where they have to stay there, they were ushered right into the rooms, hotels or whatever, and they have to stay in there. And when the food comes, the people will be wearing masks to, to deliver the food, and they have to wait for people to leave. They have to open the door. They have to be wearing masks. They have CCTVs and face shields to pick the food and go back and eat and do that. And after that, when it's time to head off, they go straight to the plane. There is a great fear and separation between the two. Now, for those of you who, who, who don't care much about that, but you are a Netflix fan or you like zombie movies, you know the infected and uninfected, you, you never put them together, right? Because the infected, if you get near to the uninfected, they get infected and it goes on. So here we have lepers. It's actually a heartbreaking picture where they would never be able to touch their spouse or their kids if they had any before and their parents who gave birth to them. Well, well, it's not heartless, but it's heartbreaking. Food can be delivered to the borders. The, the family have to leave. They can see their family. They can go and collect the food, but never touch them. And they'll be eating alone. The unclean could not touch the clean, not to mention the holy. But here we have desperate times, calls for desperate measures. And this man ran into town. His face was flat on the ground, begging Jesus. It was just moments before the SWAT team comes in for him. And this is what he says. Could you read with me to verse 12? Look with me to verse 12. What did he say? He says, Lord, if you can. But that's not what he said, isn't it? If you're nodding, you are not looking at your Bible. He didn't say, Lord, if you can. He says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. His profession is very clear. He says, Jesus can. But his question is this. Is Jesus willing? Jesus has healed all kinds of diseases, but is he willing to reach out to the abandoned lepers who could never go to the temple, who had never offered sacrifice, who could not even attend synagogues to hear anything from the Bible? They're ostracized, they're outcasts. Would Jesus be willing to bother with him? 
Well, without hesitation, Jesus, without his glove, without his PPE, his personal protective equipment, he reached out his hand, touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Now what happened in that instant, Luke wants us to recognize, is the revelation of the compassion of God. Notice when Jesus says, I'm willing, he was not cleansed. Because the point that Jesus first brought in wasn't about cleaning the body, but healing the heart. If we ever felt unclean in any way in our lives, and so often we can and we will feel that, be it our thoughts, our actions, our failures, our shame, if we feel that we are beyond hope to reach God, this words of Jesus is to tell us God cares and God is willing. It's a great comfort to hear Jesus say that on those lonely nights when you were willing to cry out to God, I'm clean. Are you willing? You may read God's word and hear Jesus says, I'm willing. When God says, I'm coming, he wasn't coming for the righteous, for the self-righteous with great accolades, with great achievement. He comes for those who would not look up the heavens, who would beat their chairs and say, I'm clean, I'm clean. And Jesus says, I'm here. For you. Is that us? Well, the next two words that followed is when the power of cleaning comes. Be clean, revealed the power of God. Now, Jesus did not become unclean as the people have expected him, but his holiness made the unclean clean, and the leprosy left the man. Now, dear friends, why did Luke put this in as a second? Miracle. He did not record this merely to show how powerful Jesus is. He's showing us how loving and compassionate God is when he says, I'm coming for you. Those moments, dear friends, when we are too busy, and we are too busy not to pause and see whether we are able to come before God. Do we come to Jesus as pure and clean and decide whether he is good enough. Or we come to Jesus thinking that we're not too bad and he just tops up a little bit. Or do we come to Jesus beating our chest, recognizing how unclean and how isolated we have been from God. Because that is the only way to receive a reconciliation with God. That's what the leper asked, and that's what Jesus gave. What comes next was to reconcile him with the rest of the community. You can look at it so that he can once again enter the temple like the rest. Verse 14, Jesus said, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest. So now the priest, the priest acts like the ART kids that, that you do every other week, where they are, the priests are meant to validate their, their leprosy negative so that they can go to the market themselves, they can hug the loved ones without being um, put down by the SWAT team. So the second miracle revealed that Jesus is willing and able to make the unclean clean to end their isolation from God and from God's kingdom. 
And that message is for us as well. Now the fame of Jesus spread despite his order in verse 14. People were ecstatic to hear this miracle. They wanted more and more of Jesus to be healed of their sickness. But verse 16 says this, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Now, here is the fragile kingdom plan. We have heard it last few weeks. It's a fragile kingdom plan. People want a Messiah to match their heart's desire. They want a bottled up genie. But Jesus is not a bottled Messiah and he will not trust himself to the hearts of men. And so Jesus' commune with, G- with the Father is crucial so that the people will be able to steer to understand what is the Messiah because you can never know the Messiah by looking at your own heart and looking at Jesus. You need to know the Messiah by looking at Jesus who is looking at your heart. That is what Jesus must do and he must teach and so we come to this third and final miracle for today which is by far the most difficult. Again, it happens on the day Jesus was teaching And by now, the news of Jesus has spread so far. Look at verse 17. (coughs) Pharisees, teachers of the Lord, they have come from everywhere. Villages of Galilee, Judea, even Jerusalem. They are coming to hear Jesus. So if you have a picture in your mind of this third miracle, the picture is Jesus teaching in this crowded house. The house is as big as you can find. It's all crowded. No one can get in anymore. When all of a sudden, as Jesus was teaching, the roof collapsed and that shining bright afternoon sun pierced into your eyes. And then you saw this dust floating and then a mat coming down. A paralyzed man. Now this is definitely a showstopper. It's a one-way ticket. Because Jesus can't teach anymore. The, the roof has collapsed and a man was right there in the middle, probably hit one of the Pharisees' head as the man comes down. It's a showstopper because it's a make or break. If Jesus heals the man, everyone's happy and everyone goes home praising God. If Jesus doesn't heal the man, well, nobody's ever going to invite Jesus to their house again. And somebody has to pay for the roof and probably the four friends. What would Jesus do? So have a look with me. I want to read from verse 20 onwards. And you can read with me. Either if you're on Zoom, you can read uh, from your home or you can look at it and read silently from your, from your heart. Let me read this for us. Verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 22, Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and he ran home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Now, Jesus never makes things easy for himself, isn't it? But then again, Jesus never took the easy path. Now, I was in Perth 
many years ago and I was invited to a church camp and I was supposed to preach with another main preacher because he can't make it on Sunday. So I do the Sunday and he does the rest. And he was preaching on this parable. And he said, this parable is about the awesomeness of God. And everyone says, Amen. And then he talks about the four corners of the mat, what it represents, and probably the climax was what the mat would have been that you can take away from it. Well, I can't remember what he said about the four corners of the mat or what the mat is about, but that's probably a good thing. Otherwise, I'll totally miss out the point of this passage. What do you think is the main point of this passage? Why did Luke bring this third miracle in? Why do you write this miracle? What is the main purpose that he wants his readers, he wants you and me to know? Well, let's consider this together. Think with me for a moment. What were the Pharisees and teachers of the law thinking? Look at verse 21 and follow with me, Jew. Verse 21, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, two statements given. Second statement is true. Who can forgive sins but God alone? However, the first statement is an assumption that Jesus is not Lord and is not divine. Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Now, if Jesus cannot forgive sins, here's the deal. He is blaspheming. No good and upright teacher dare ever say that. And in fact, Jesus should be stoned right on the spot and for the better. But listen to this. If Jesus does forgive sins, then it also means that everyone, the people, including the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they have to worship Jesus. They have to bow down and acknowledge who Jesus is. It's a double-edged sword. When Jesus proclaimed, friend, your sins are forgiven, it was both an answer to the faith of the man and his friends, verse 20, it is also a confrontation to the religious who have gathered from everywhere, including Jerusalem, to watch him. Now, here's the question. Let's, let's ask this together. Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Which is easier? Well, if words are cheap, it's getting cheaper sometimes. If words are cheap, of course, your sins are forgiven, it's easier. Because you can't see anything and get out, get out and walk is difficult because if he doesn't walk, it doesn't work. But it's not so simple. Because we do need to recognize who is in the crowded house. You have all the religious elites there. And that question is not an easy one because it is not that easy to say that. Because even doctors have healed, but no doctors have dared to say your sins are forgiven. Right, doctors? heal, you can help, but you don't dare to say your sins are forgiven. So which is easier? It's not an easy question. But to answer this, we do need to understand how do the religious people think in Jesus' time? And that's where I want to flip to one verse from John chapter 9. I put it up on the slide so that you can look at it carefully. Let me read this to you. Let me read this to you. This is from John chapter 9 verse 2. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Listen to this. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Born blind. Here's a man born 
blind before he could wet his first diaper. And the disciples have to ask, because that is what everybody asks. Whose sin is that? His sin, however he can manage to sin before he wet his first diaper, or his parents. Do you see what was happening in that time? That sin and sickness are so closely linked, they can't separate these two things. So as the paralyzed man, he gets lowered from the bright light to the crowd, maybe one of the corners hit a Pharisee's eyebrow or something. They were staring at him and says, How dare you? How dare you interrupt this meets of congregation? How dare you break the roof and disrupt us, you sinner? How much sins do you and your parents have that you are so paralyzed and you coming down disrupt us? Well, Jesus, he clearly answered him in John 9, if you just turn to verse 3, he says, this man is not his sin that was paralyzed. But this was not the case of what people think or the Pharisees think. And perhaps even as the man, he was coming for, for, for healing, but how would the paralyzed man and his friends understood the sickness without sins? That he carries the burden that I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Everyone looks at me as a sinner. My parents perhaps are sinners. That's why I'm paralyzed. Would they have linked sin and sickness together? Absolutely. And so Jesus, in answering their request in verse 20, he is really first answering their deepest need. Friend, your sins are forgiven. That was Jesus' greatest concern and that was the man's greatest need. And notice, at that moment, the man's sins have indeed been forgiven. Hallelujah. And so was the request of their faith. But notice at verse 20, the man was still paralyzed. It was only at verse 24, again, the two-part answer, that Jesus said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And the moment he said that the healing occurred, in the past, the mat carried the man, now the man carries the mat. Now what is happening here? As you engage with Luke, keeping this account for us, Jesus is really not showing which is easier, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. Rather, Jesus, in doing this account together, both the Pharisees who despise the sick as sinners, they cannot deny that sins have been forgiven when the man gets up to walk. To deny the forgiveness of sins here then would be slapping their own mouth because they have always linked these two together. They'll be slapping their own mouth unless they will say, Jesus, you did this by the name of the devil. Which guess what? They're going to do in a few chapters' time. And so right here, even now, as the man stands at walk, we would not see them acknowledging Jesus as Lord while the rest of the people were praising God. So here, it is perhaps here, we'll look at one last verse. If you look at verse 17, and notice something peculiar that I've not looked at yet just now. Here, Luke inserted into this account something interesting. Jesus has been healing the sick elsewhere, 
But it's here in verse 17, look at what he says. Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Jesus is the one with the Lord's power to heal the sick and to forgive sinners. We look at Jesus' climatic proclamation next week in 532. But how do we wrap up these three miracles today? This is how we wrap it up. First miracle revealed Jesus has come for sinners and offers us the grace to follow him. The second miracle revealed that Jesus is willing and able to make the unclean clean to end our isolation from God and God's people. And the third miracle revealed that Jesus is able to forgive our sins if we will come to him. So as we wrap up this morning or afternoon, as we close, let us consider what is common between Peter, the leper, the paralyzed man, you, and me. The common denominator will not be our vocation. It will not be our appearance. It will not be by the quality of our mattress or what we can afford or our physical superiority. What is common between them and us is our sin and our isolation from God. That is the common denominator. We can't reach God. God has to come for us. But if we will respond to Jesus the way that Peter had, recognizing our sins, our unworthiness, our uncleanness, if we are to cry, Lord, I'm a sinful person, and we still come to Him, if you're willing to repent and turn to Jesus, we will find comfort that Jesus is willing and Jesus is able. And He will give us the privilege to be fishes of people too into the kingdom of God. Those that are being fished by the nets of man will die in the nets of man. Those who are fished by the nets of Christ, Jesus, will be alive eternally in the kingdom of God. The question is, how will we respond to Jesus who has come for us? And how we respond will dictate whether it's going to be a horror movie or it's going to be a rescue there's an eternal ending. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you Jesus has come as you promised. He comes not for the rich, the famous, the perfect, as if there are any. He comes for those who are sinners, who are unclean, who are broken, who are rejected, who are isolated from you. We only ask God that as we go around our busy lives that we will pause and we will respond just as these three men have so that we can receive what these three men have received and we will rejoice to be in the net of the eternal kingdom. Be with us, we pray as we take on the journey of the rest of Luke in the coming weeks and months that we will take this journey and we will receive Christ on the right side of the net. All this we pray for your glory and for our salvation in Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online 
at busypc.sg.